Lakeisha Gunter, and you're listening to Roar, an energetic and enlightening weekly podcast that will help you achieve more. This weekly infusion of candid insights, indispensable lessons, inspiring stories, and success strategies for living your best life now will help you on your journey to making your dreams a reality. My experience as a Fortune 50 business and tech executive has led me to meet some pretty amazing people. On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar. Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by ROAR? The beauty of ROAR is that it's both an acronym. The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We are all born with it. A hidden power inside of us. It is a fire that is often suppressed by fear. Today, I'm excited to talk about flipping the mental switch from employee to entrepreneur. You've been successful in a career as an employee, and now you're ready to make the move to business ownership. Do you know what taking the leap really means? My guest today, Monica Enan, knows all about flipping the switch and moving from employee to entrepreneur. Monica is the founder of Zapproved, a cloud-based software provider for corporate legal departments, where she currently serves as chief executive officer. She has grown Zapproved into a leading software provider with a compliance platform, making it easier and more economical for businesses facing increasing rules and regulations. Prior to founding Zapproved, Monica had over 15 years with blue chip companies such as Intel and IBM. She holds an MBA from University of Portland and a BS in computer engineering from Carnegie Mellon University. Monica is a highly sought after speaker and a very active member in the entrepreneurial community in Portland. I had the pleasure of meeting Monica a few years ago when the Technology Association of Oregon in partnership with her company hosted a leadership event at her company where we both spoke as panelists and where we provided perspectives on leadership in the Portland community. I am thrilled to have her on the show today to talk about her journey to becoming a CEO and overcoming doubt and fear along the way to build a very successful business. So without further ado, let's welcome Monica to the show. Welcome, Monica. Thank you so much. I'm so Excited to be here with you. Really is an honor. Well, I'm so glad. I tell you, I've been looking forward to this conversation and really sharing you with the audience, right? You've just had a phenomenal career in high tech in the Portland area, and you moved to entrepreneurship, and that was no small feat, no easy feat. And I know many of my listeners have often thought about business ownership, but may not have been comfortable making the leap. So I figured, why not get an expert on the topic? <laughs> well, I'll try my best. Absolutely. And have you talk about it. But before we jump in and talk a little bit about your career and, and now you're leading you know, a very successful company in the Portland area, why don't we take a moment to kind of give the audience an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you? I've had the opportunity to get to know you over the last few years, and I've enjoyed every interaction. And I've also just enjoyed learning from you and the examples that you're setting in the Portland area. But tell us a little bit about your background, um, where you're from, and how that shaped you to be who you are today. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And, and definitely, thanks for the kind words. It's a mutual feeling, for sure. So, you know, I'm of Indian origin, and my parents came to the U.S. Uh, just before I was born. 
and um, kind of the last of four kids. And we, we, I was born in West Virginia, which, you know, we grew up kind of on the East Coast in West Virginia and also in North Carolina. You know, being the youngest of four kids in an immigrant family that is struggling, you know, to get to build a life in a new country, I think is definitely there are things today that I think back, boy, that was a big part of forming who I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, talk a little bit about, you know, as growing up, right? I mean, you're the youngest of four kids. So sometimes that's a blessing and a curse, right? Either they love on you a lot or they tease you a lot. <laughs> so not sure what your experience was, but talk maybe about some of those experiences growing up that really um, helped you to, to define who you are. Uh, is there a defining moment that stands out that where you said, okay, I'm going to, this is my roar. This is my roar opportunity. About that. Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, I sometimes don't think there are these moments, but boy, I definitely had a moment. And I don't know if everyone does. You know, when I was young, I, I'm also not just the fourth child, but I'm seven years younger than my younger than my older sister, and 10 and 11 years younger than my brothers. And so I was I was not just the baby, I was significantly the baby. And so with a family that's just trying to survive, frankly, kind of on the bottom rungs of the hierarchy of Maslow's hierarchy, like there isn't a lot of ability, frankly, to contribute um, because most most of the time they treat you like, well, I mean, my family love me, but they pretty much treat me like, well, she doesn't have much to contribute. She's, you know, she's just the baby. Let's take care of her. And I think I, you know, I was a very, like, people who know me today, when I tell them, like, I was a really timid, very shy, very fearful child. I think most people who know me today that know that's like the opposite of my personality. So it wasn't innate to my personality. It was just kind of the circumstances of growing up and feeling like, oh, everybody knows better than me. And I should just do my best not to be in the way or create any trouble. And then, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old, and my brothers and my sister had gone off to college. My parents decided, and this was the first time we could afford going back to India. So they took me back to meet family and spend some time with my mom's, both my mom and dad's family. And when I went there, it was like a completely different experience. Here I was, sort of younger American teenager, preteen, cool by their standards, <laughs> cool clothes and access to, you know, the brands and the things that they they craved, even though we weren't wealthy. And for my, I aspired to like a lot of those cool products, you know, they believed that all Americans had them. So they thought I was cool just for the fact that I came there and, and people wanted to take my picture. <laughs> yeah, they, they like strangers would walk up to, this, uh, to us on the street. Then this was before pictures were cheap. And they'd say, you know, can we take a picture with you? Um, and where are you from? And who are you? And there was so much interest in me that I actually think that was the first time I thought, wow, People are interested in me. I could do things that would make, you know, that the people find a value or find interesting. And it actually boosted my self-esteem. This, you know, I always tell people, you really expand your brain by traveling. And mine, it was life-changing. That one international trip at 12, 13 years old completely changed my perspective of who I was in the world and who I could be in the world and how big the world. Love that. Wow. And how long did you stay? 
We stayed in a India month. on that trip. We stayed four weeks. Yeah, we visited cousins and aunts and uncles and you know, everyone was excited to see me and meet me and get to know me. And they were so interested in all the parts of my life that, yeah, it was, it was a big perspective shift from where I was coming from. Love that. Love that. So just the opportunity to travel to a different country, meet your extended family and really being seen and appreciated for your uniqueness, right? And your experiences that you were bringing and able to share with them. That's awesome. Yeah. Love that. Well, tell us about your journey from being that engineer, because, you know, we're engineers, we should have that in common, to becoming an entrepreneur. And I know you had some amazing opportunities in high tech. And, you know, as we've talked before, phenomenal mentors and sponsors, but eventually you got that entrepreneur itch. So how did you get that idea to, to start your company? Yeah, I mean, I feel very fortunate. You know, I think you and I have talked about my first job was at Intel. I was actually a summer intern on a microprocessor project and then came out to work full time. And I loved it. (laughs) It was, first of all, there were smart people everywhere. So you felt like every day you were going to get smarter. And just by Mm -hmm. interacting with them, just in the air or in the water. And that was a really cool, and yes, it was a cool experience. And you also felt like you were doing something important. I think, you know, meaningful work is kind of what we're all here about is having meaningful work. And so I was excited to be part of an important project with smart people solving hard problems. Because to me, like, that's the definition of joy right there. Smart people, hard project. I I think we don't value what comes easily to us. So it has to be hard enough and it has to be. And I loved it. I didn't actually think about entrepreneurship much until I had children. And so Mm. me... I actually decided to, my husband and I were both working at Intel. Um, actually, my husband is currently at Intel. And it was tough. This was before there was any remote work or broadband internet, frankly. And I had children. <laughs> I don't know, I'm dating myself. Um, but I had children and it was just the struggles of a, that kind of career. We couldn't do it both. So I decided to take some time off. And there's kind of two things I learned about myself in the time that I stayed home. I was home with my kids until my daughter went to preschool for about four years. My daughter's the second kid. And I, I learned a, I love my children, but boy, I love work. I love (laughs) (laughs) like my, like I just told you, my joy comes from hard problems, meaningful work with smart people while motherhood is a hard problem. And it is meaningful and you can surround yourself with smart people. I think I really missed the technical challenges and the the work environment of all focusing on a hard problem. So I deeply missed it. So that was one thing I had to get back to. I knew it very quickly. Like, okay, I want to be home with my kids while they're young, but I want to get back to something like that. And then I think the other thing I learned about myself is I'm ambitious. Like I wanted to I wanted to tackle something that, you know, I started to grow in my sort of imagination of what I could tackle. And it was from sort of stepping back, that perspective that you get from stepping back. I did a lot of research while I was home with the kids and started looking into things. And when it came time to go back to work, I think most of my network and my friends and my family thought I would go back to Intel because I loved Intel. And I was kind of shocked to find myself saying, no, I want to try something different. And I want to expand my horizons to see what else is out there. 
And that's when kind of being entrepreneurial, especially in software and what was going on in the market for software was got really exciting to me. Love it. Love it. Love it. So just kind of that critical inflection point in life, being a mom and and thinking about what's next and what excites me, right, about technology and solving problems. And so you got the idea from being at home with the kids. How did you get the idea for the name of the company? I love it. It's so different. (laughs) I regret the name of the company every day, but it's mainly because I think when you name companies, boy, you don't always know where they're going to go. You know, in the beginning, when I was just experimenting with software as a service and the cloud, I was really just exploring kind of approval workflow software, which is what Zapproved was. The original software that we were building was just a, it was my way of learning about the cloud, but I also knew there were lots of use cases where tracking approvals, tracking agreements that weren't sort of contract worthy, but were more than just an email needed to be documented, an audit trail needed to be documented about what decisions were being made. And that's when, you know, back in those days, you were trying to find a short domain name. So having the letter Z was kind of interesting and important. And then also making it sound like it was fast and then focusing on approvals. That was kind of how we came up with the names approved. Of course, as entrepreneurship goes, life doesn't always take you in the direction you think you're going. So as we pivoted from a more wide horizontal platform to a really vertical platform serving the legal market is approved, ended up being the company name, but not, not the product name. Legal products. Yeah. Good deal. And I mean, I know around, you know, 2008 and, you know, we were kind of getting started, right. We were starting to hear more about the data revolution and the power of data and of course the cloud. Right. And so did that give you confidence? Hey, that, you know, I'm leaving my corporate career. I'm going to move on entrepreneurship journey data and the cloud and and where the business was going, did that give you more confidence that, hey, we've got something here and we can be successful? I was really interested in studying entrepreneurship and learning about entrepreneurship, but I was convinced when I went back to work, it was, I think, 2005, 2006, 2005, I was convinced that I didn't know what I was doing. And so I had to learn more. I had to like go work for a startup. And I did. I went and worked for a startup and I And one thing I learned about studying entrepreneurs during that period of time was, you know, entrepreneurs talk about timing the market, but it's very, very hard to time the market. What instead I think the really successful ones did is they watch for waves, big trends, and they say, okay, if there are big trends that are kind of irreversible, then I am going to position my surfboard in front of this big wave. And when it hits, I'm going to ride like hell. And, you know, and just ride the wave. And you really, it's all about positioning yourself to take advantage of the waves of technology. So definitely by the time I got to approved, I was sure that data volumes were growing because mobile was starting to really take hold. I was sure that the cloud was a thing because if you had mobile, you, you know, you couldn't host, you could, everything couldn't be down on your client and the pipes were getting bigger, the broad, you know, the, the, the ability to transfer data was getting more robust and big companies were investing in cloud infrastructure. It had there, you know, prior to that, there had been rumblings of kind of precursors to things that that were, were the cloud, but they never really took off because frankly, there weren't deep, big investments put into it as there were at this time. So I, I felt very confident that like cloud software, software as a service, 
was definitely where it was at. And once we got into approved, figuring out that legal was going to be a place that was going to be really impacted by the volume of data creation and the variety of data creation, this is definitely an important area that's going to get disrupted. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you move into that space. It sounds like what you, you did is you need to say, I want to go learn a little bit more. So you, you took some time to study entrepreneurship and other, other businesses and other startups. And, you know, you learn clearly because by all accounts, your company is thriving and it's successful today. But I'm sure that that wasn't always the case from day one, right? I mean, once you flip that perspective and you flip that switch, right? You certainly knew that, you know, there's tons of opportunities based on your abilities and your potential. But how did you manage to, to work through that fear, that uncertainty and doubt in starting that business? I mean, how did you overcome it? Yeah, you know, and this one, you, you called it flipping a switch. And honestly, again, just like those formative, like that formative trip when I was younger, there was a moment where I was like, oh, heck yeah, I am going to do this. And I'm going to stop talking about it. And I'm going to stop learning about, I mean, not learning, obviously you're always learning, but I'm not, I'm going to stop just learning about it. And I'm going to start just starting just doing. And, you know, I was working for a startup and I think that I was, I had this false idea that, okay, I'll work for this startup and I, and eventually I will learn enough. And when I learn enough, then I can start my own thing. And boy, that was kind of the wrongest thing that I was thinking, because the truth is, once I got into the startup, I realized, hey, the people running this company, they're not trying to learn enough. They didn't know all of the, I mean, I don't know what made me think they did. Like it was on me. Like I was, I created stupid expectation that they should know everything before they created it. And I got in and found out, oh, they were learning and doing and making decisions and pivoting and using their best judgment and getting through it. And they didn't know everything. I think there was just one moment where, I hate to say it, but it sort of became obvious that they didn't have all the answers. And I remember that day kind of hanging up. I was on a phone call, conference call, and I hung up the phone realizing, wow, we don't know the answer. And I think I, I, you know, in that particular judgment call, I, I had a disagreement with the management team and the rest of the management team and felt like we were going the, the wrong direction. And, you know, in the end, it is a judgment call and, and the CEO gets to make that. And when, the, when he made that, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, if he's confident making those kinds of decisions when he doesn't have all the answers, what is wrong with me? I'm the problem here. Why do I think I couldn't make these judgment calls? And, you know, I, I remember that day and chewing on that for a long time and realizing, I think I'm the problem. Like, I think I need to change my whole attitude towards this. And there isn't going to be a day where I decide I've learned enough. Um, it's just never going to come. And so if it's never going to come, what's wrong with tomorrow? Wow, I love that. Wow. Definitely a, a mindset shift, right? Just through observations right, and learnings. <laughs> yeah. And when I made it, man, I made it. I mean, I gave my couple weeks, no, I think I gave like a month's notice and tried to transition out gracefully. But as soon as I made it, you know, I told my husband, I told my family, I was like, this is it. I'm doing it. And there was no turning back. 
Wow, I love that. I love that. That decision set you on a course. It sounds like determination to make it happen. And what, you know, not that you wouldn't have mistakes and learnings along the way, as you said, as a leader, you're a continuous learner, but just uh, full ambition to get it done. Love that. You know, the realization that you have mistakes along the way and that you're not going to just beat yourself up about it is a big one. (laughs) Um, Because I think prior to that, I would beat myself up about mistakes I would make. And I think, you know, I don't know if you've you just kind of have to get to the point where you go, I'm going to forget those mistakes. I'm going to learn from those mistakes. And the minute I get that learning out of it, I'm going to forget it happened and not dwell on it and move forward. So that was kind of the key, the key inflection. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, talk about the power of saying no. I know we've had some conversations around the power of saying no, because sometimes as leaders, you feel so compelled to say yes, because you want to be so supportive of your community, your team, and you know just, just others around you. But how did you learn the power of saying no, and how has it helped you become even more successful? Yeah, I think you probably are more of an expert at this than <laughs> I am. I think there are those of us, I do especially think women of color and who feel, first of all, I think I would be a happier person if I could just run my company or run my business and do nothing else because I probably would be happier. And so if I had some magic pill to take that would make me be able to do that, I probably would choose the blue pill. Um, But there's so many exciting things to do in our community. And I can't help but think about the impact we have on the world we're living in and making it better and making all of the changes that we want in the world for for women, for people of color, for any marginalized groups. And I also think, you know, when I think about tech and the privilege we have when we come from a tech background, like there's a lot of tech privilege. And how do we be more inclusive about that? I can't help but stop thinking about it and how do we make our communities better? And so of course that attracts me to lots of cool people doing interesting projects and spending their time doing all kinds of great things for the world. And I think life would be, I I couldn't imagine a life without working on those things. But I quickly learned (laughs) that if I was going to have the impact I wanted to have, I actually did need to first build a successful business and that I was going to have to pick and choose because lots of opportunities were going to come and and there were lots of people who wanted you to do different things, especially because you also feel the, the weight of being, we don't choose it, but we feel the weight of being a role model. I, I know you must feel that way. You know, we all know that representation matters. And so we want to be as out there as we possibly can and engaging with as many people. But I think the key to success is focus. It's very easy to get defocused and spread your too thin, kind of peanut butter spreading your time and energy and not really having the impact you want. And I think once I realized that, I actually developed some language. It took me a while to kind of sort through that in my head and figure out how I would prioritize what I would do and what were the characteristics of the things that I would spend time on and how I would decide yes or no. And then what was the language that honored the request and honored the efforts of the people doing the request, but that allowed you to graciously say, say no and give yourself the focus that you need to succeed. That took a lot of work, to be honest. It took a lot of inside work. And then it took a lot of 
how do I communicate this as a philosophy? But once I did it, absolutely, I felt like I could put my energy on the few key things that I really cared about and that I really thought where I could move the needle and then I can put my effort there and have more impact. Wow, that's powerful. It really is. I mean, being, um, how do I say, mindful and thoughtful about how do I make sure that I'm focused on uh, giving back and serving, but investing the time in the right place for the best impact. And I love the fact that you said developing a language so people know that you care, although you may not be able to invest the time, but that you found another way um, to support them. Um, and I love that. Love that. Love that. Wow. I, to your point, I mean, I know you have a passion for giving back to the community, both personally and through your company's efforts. You guys are all over the place driving impact in Portland. And I love that. I've had an opportunity to obviously visit your facility, participate in events there. Um, but I see you everywhere um, in a good way in building the communities in Portland, lifting people up. Talk about some of the things that you and your company are doing to give back. I think it was kind of a few maybe five years ago that the light switch kind of came on about inclusive cultures and what I was going to have to do to foster an inclusive culture, not just that's approved, but in tech as well. And this is, you know, when I say we come from privilege, you know, tech can either be this great divider of haves and haves nots, or it can be this great equalizer. And so I think we always have to strive that we want it to be this great equalizer and create an inclusive culture. And I think instead of like, I used to think, oh, well, I'll go mentor young girls or we'll work on STEM projects for middle schoolers. And then I, I think I realized, hey, I think it's actually more important that I work on myself and us and my own journey of learning and understanding other people because then I can have that impact in the world. And all of us working at Approved, working in tech in Portland, working at tech in the world can actually make that environment and community more inclusive. So I think once I kind of realized it's about educating ourselves, like mm -hmm. it's about we, everybody's look, everybody's on their journey. Everybody's at different places on their journey. I actually don't see an end to the journey. I know that's sad to say. I, and I don't know if it's sad or not, but I don't see an end. I don't see a destination. Right. I think it's just a continuous journey of learning and understanding where people are coming from, what people are struggling with, how they might feel, and then how you might be an ally to whoever you want to include in that in the community. And so Really what we'd focus on, it's approved is a lot of education systems. So we have a lot of speakers that come in and we host. And we, at first we did those just for as approved. Like we used to have these like lunch and learns and we'd have just approved people. And then Crystal, who works with me kind of said, hey, other people are interested in what we're doing and the speakers that we're bringing in. And we were like, hey, the more you, the merrier. Like any, we weren't trying to save it for ourselves. We think it's better, the power of community and getting everybody together. So we've started to open up those events. And I, I think it's been amazing. It's been the people we've heard from, the things I've learned. It's quite incredible. 
Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah, I always look forward to Crystal's posts to see what you guys are doing. You guys bring in some of the most amazing speakers. And I mean, it just, you're so dedicated to your point to helping to build that inclusive tech community in a better Portland. And so just want to say thank you for all that you guys do to bring the outside in and take the inside out, right? As approved. So just fantastic job there. And it's, it's all, you know, because of you and your your great team and, and you, the leadership that you guys are providing. So thank you so much for that great work. Well, thank you. I mean, I definitely, I get disproportionate, frankly, credit because it's really very grassroots. It's approved. I'm just one of many people who care about it. And I had to, I actually, I had to go through some like soul searching as a CEO to figure out how to care about it in the right way. And like, I finally came down to like, I know that some people are motivated by kind of the moral imperative of inclusivity. And and that's great. I have no issue with that. Frankly, I'm more business-minded and I am motivated by the business imperative. I like scoreboards. I like, <laughs> you know, I like competing and I like posting scores uh, uh, on the board and, you know, in business, that's revenue or dollars or whatever it is. I enjoy that part of it. The beauty of creating an inclusive culture in a tech company is that the moral imperative and the business imperative overlap pretty much 100%. So if you're motivated by the moral imperative, great, more power to you. If you're motivated by the business imperative, it doesn't really matter. Either motivation gets you to the same answer. We have to create an inclusive culture where we get the best and the brightest minds working on our problem because that's going to get the best business result. And I deeply value that it happens to also match with my value system. You know, that's pretty, pretty satisfying. Absolutely. And wow, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, just I just love what you said, because at the end of the day, they're inextricably linked, right? Yeah. So sooner you, we come to that, the better, because at the end of the day, to your point, I always say diversity and inclusion is not black or white, it's green, because it's all yeah. drives <laughs> profitability. And at the end of the day, every company wants to be successful. And the best way to do that is to have diversity at the table and include those diverse voices in you know, those key decisions and the creative, I would say the creative brainstorming needed to drive growth for the company, leverage your talent and leverage the diverse talent. So, I mean, you said it more eloquently. I love that spot on. (laughs) No, I love the way you say it. Cause you know, as a CEO, you sometimes feel like, oh, I have this obligation to investors and to customers and to employees. And I have so many stakeholders and how do I make sure I'm honoring them? And, And it became so simple and it all fell away when I realized, oh no, I'm a single-minded one kind of, I have one thing that I care about and that's building the best company. And for that, this fits exactly. Perfect. Love it. Love it. Well, hey, I know that not only have you conquered mountains in business, but you've done the same thing physically in your recent climb to Mount Kilimanjaro. Oh my gosh. You are super bad, sister. Okay. (laughs) You know, talk about what led you to climb Africa's tallest mountain. I mean, 20,000 feet off the ground, that's a little high, okay, and the largest freestanding mountain in the world. So talk a little bit more about that. I was really lucky, and I feel so grateful that I got to have that experience. It was right before the pandemic and right before shutdown. I went because a good friend of mine was having a milestone birthday, and she said, I've decided to climb Kilimanjaro for my birthday. And I thought, I had never thought of that before. I was like, Kilimanjaro, what? How high is that? You know, I didn't even know, I knew nothing, but I was like, I'm in. And I think it kind of goes back to what I said. Like I've learned enough about myself to know 
that my joy comes from hard problems with people I care about and, you know, mind expanding experiences. And so, you know, it felt like an obvious thing I wanted to take on. And also I had just recently become an empty nester Both my children had left. And I thought, boy, I just want to do something that sort of takes my mind off the fact that I'm in a house and, you know, my husband and I are now alone in the house, in the home. Um, and so training for that with my friends and then going on that journey and getting through, there's so many metaphors for business and life that happen when you're doing something like that, like how you have to dig in really emotionally and mentally and really get yourself, how you have to believe in yourself, how you have to have to kind of let yourself make mistakes and move on from it. You know, there's all those kinds of lessons that you're having when you're on the side of a mountain. So it was really uh, an amazing experience that I'm probably for all my whole life, I will remember and be grateful for. Wow. I love that to your point. So many parallels to business, right? How you set out to solve those big problems with your teams and you know, those paths that, that lead to the innovation and accomplishment, but then there's also, to your point, some challenges along the way, but you overcome them together as a team. Love that. Yeah. Love absolutely. that. Well, what advice do you have for those that are interested in becoming a business owner? What are a couple of key things that you can share? You know, people ask me this pretty frequently and I, used, I think at different times I have said, don't do it. Oh, no. <laughs> I love it. I mean, and trust me, there are days where if you ask me, I would say, never do it. I'm a idiot. But on the whole, when I have perspective, I do think I never would, I never regret making that leap and flipping that switch. I've never felt more alive, more connected to people in what I'm doing and that I'm doing more meaningful things. So I I don't think it's something you regret, but you got to be prepared that it's, it's a hard journey with lots of times where you feel like a failure. And I think if you get comfortable feeling like a failure, if that causes you tons of anxiety, that's the first thing to work on. Like you've got to be able to feel like, okay, I'm failing, but that's okay. I'm going to continue going again, parallel to the mountain. There were many times on that mountain where I thought I'm never going to get to the top of this mountain. And I don't know why the heck I even started down this path, but you just have to go, all right, I'm going to keep going. And I think that's true in business. Like if you start a business, it, there is no business that doesn't have warts. So yes, your business, whatever you start, I promise you will have warts because if it didn't have warts, someone would have already done it um, and it would already be, you know, so every business has warts. And when you find the wart and you have to get through it, it's going to feel, frankly, sometimes it can feel hopeless or unachievable. But the truth is you can, there is an amount of just resilience and stick-to-itiveness, but willing to pivot and listen and learn and be open-minded that will get you through that it's an awesome experience that, that I never regret. And I definitely think you can't wait until you learned it all. You got to just start doing. Love it. Love it. So learn along the way, get comfortable learning. And it sounds like there's a little bit of get comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Well, you know, each year Ernst & Young recognizes visionary leaders in business as nominees for the Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And I know you have been recognized as an entrepreneur of the year, or you're certainly one of those on the list for this year. Talk a little bit about what that means to you and your company. It was a major honor. You know, it's funny because 
you see these people that get when, or, you know, I, I don't know, I'd love to tell you that, oh, these awards don't matter to me. I would love to say that. But truthfully, when you see the people who've won and, and you see what they've done, you can't help but think, wow, those are really inspiring people. And then to think that maybe that group of people thinks you might belong to it and that you could be one of them. It's just like awesome and inspiring and feels great. And, you know, our culture loves to hold up a person and say, oh, you know, I think somehow in our society, we hold up a person, but the truth is nobody does it alone. Nobody does it alone. Not one of them. You know, Elon Musk doesn't do it alone. None of them do it alone. It's always with a team. And so I hope that my team feels the right. And I feel like they do feel the recognition that when I get nominated or or do win something like that. I mean, it is definitely a whole group of people that got that helped get me and the company and approved there. And it's a recognition of all the people who contributed to group. So it, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations. I was like, yes. I agree. <laughs> She's amazing. The company's amazing. And just your team. So again, big kudos to you and your organization. So I'm um, to your point. I get it, right? It's it's a privilege and honor to be included alongside other leaders like yourself who are just changing the game inside the company, but also making a mark in the community. So again, congratulations. Thank you. So I could talk to you all day. Anytime we get on the line, we, we continue to, we, we have a good conversation. So, but I know <laughs> yeah. you probably have to go back to a few more meetings. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to leave the audience before I um, end with the fun lightning round of questions? Oh, fun lightning round. Uh, no, I, I, that sounds great. Let's okay. go to that. All right. Well, I'll say a word or phrase and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. So what's your favorite food? <laughs> favorite food? Pasta, probably. Okay, pasta. I- yeah. Good deal. So if you have a guilty pleasure, what might it be? Red wine. Ah, nice. <laughs> you're in the right part of the country. Okay. I am. Okay. Favorite book or maybe a book you're reading right now? I've had a couple books that I think make made a big impact on me. You know, I read a, a fair amount of Danny Kahneman. Uh, he's a behavioral economics person or Adam Grant read like his give and take and a lot of his, his work. Love it. Love it. I also love, I love Frances Fry. She's a professor and writes about cultures and teams and winning teams. And I think she's pretty amazing. Fantastic. Those are all great books for sure. So I don't know that you have a whole lot of time to watch TV, but if you do, do you have a Netflix addiction or a Hulu addiction? I do. <laughs> okay. I do, although recently I've been watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Yes. <laughs> it's the cutest show. I'm just totally into it, taken by it. Um, that's my most recent. I just think it's adorable and sweet TV. And I watch a lot of dark TV as well. So I think it's been nice to have something kind of sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all Ted Lasso fans, right? He's, he's you know, that whole he's coming to the well, household and just, yeah, and grabbed our hearts, right? We're, we're, we're hooked. <laughs> and there are time business lessons in there too, you know, coaching and team and believing in yourself, having the memory of a goldfish, you know, just kind of a lot of the things we've talked about. He's, he's teaching those, those lessons as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if, you know, hopefully at some point in time, we're going to be able to travel again. And so what might be that vacation spot for you and your family once you're all clear on the COVID? You know, I wanted to, I've always wanted to go to the Galapagos Islands. Ooh, yeah. I've never been, but have this, you know, amazing desire to kind of 
see what Darwin, you know, kind of think about the journey that Darwin had and like see the animals and the biodiversity. So. Love it. Love it. Well, listen, I absolutely enjoyed our conversation today, Monica. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Thank you so much. Awesome. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time.